Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Good afternoon. Welcome in once again. It's Miller and Condon live from Principal Park as we get ready for day baseball today at beautiful Principal Park. The Iowa Cubs at home again. Their homestand continues. 12.08 with the first pitch. Trent Condon here across from me today. Once again, it is Emery Songer in for the working Ken Miller as he is in Vegas now after a couple of days sojourn to Chicago. Watch the Rolling Stones. He had to get back on a plane after getting home. 24 hours later, head to Vegas for his other job. So that means it's you and me today again, Emery. Not a bad thing and not a bad place to be. You know, I, you know, I always love doing this, and I tell you this. You know, whenever you need somebody, just give me a ring. And uh, today you were just like, come to Principal Park, and here I am. It's pretty cool. Uh, we're sitting out in the outfield suites, which I have been in, in these before, but uh, I've never been this early to a game before. I will tell you that. You'll see the guys warming up. You'll see them going through stretches. Some football toss. I always get a kick out of that. That was something. I didn't think that was an actual baseball thing. It was. I just, I don't know, assumed when I was in high school it was just something we did to screw around. But there is some kind of science behind baseball players throwing a football and warming up your arm doing that. So uh, you'll see the guys out there. They'll be running some routes, having some fun. 12.08 with the first pitch. If you're looking for something to do, maybe take a long lunch. Drop by Principal Park. Always a great place. And I say it every time we're out here, Emery, but we are so lucky. Yeah, we don't have Major League Sports here in Des Moines, but... To have this, to have this ballpark, and if you've been to some different minor league stadiums, we have an absolute gem here in Des Moines. Principal Park is about as good as you're going to find. Yeah, and I know there are, I don't want to take any skin off of some of the other great AAA ballparks, but uh, in the Midwest, and again, no disrespect to, to some of the smaller leagues mm-hmm. that are, are existing that we're able to go to, they all have their own different charms and they all have their own thing, but this is big time, man. Yeah. Like, for for being AAA, for being a minor league stadium, I mean, this is big time. It's got a nice feel. Even when I was coming here growing up as a kid, there was just something big time about it and it, it's properly sized. They fill the place up, especially when they got uh, a guy like Kimbrell who's been pitching the last few days. So, uh, no, it, it is an absolute perfect place to come on a beautiful summer day, uh, temperature is absolutely perfect. Yeah. If it can stay dry, I mean, and I'd love the sun to poke out, but this temperature is as good as it gets. So you can just go out there, lounge around in one of those stadium seats behind home plate, chill, watch a little bit of I-Cubs against Round Rock Baseball, Pacific Coast League. I mean, the I-Cubs currently leading the American Northern Division in the PCL. Uh, it, it just, You're right, it doesn't get much better than this. So, Emery, how was the weekend? It was an interesting one, my perspective. To be honest, I didn't see nearly as much sports as I normally do. The Women's World Cup, I've been into it, but I'm into it more for the United States. They'll be playing here coming up in a little less than an hour in their knockout round matchup against Spain. So without that going on, watched a little Twins Royals, but for the most part, saw some Cubs Mets, but... That was really about it. It was kind of, I was very busy Friday. I had a golf tournament that I was putting on. Maybe strapped it on a little bit too much Saturday and Sunday. I wasn't nearly as productive as I probably should have been. Eh. Had some family things. So what uh, what did it for you this weekend in sports? Well, so on, like all week, as you mentioned uh, eloquently on this particular program, I was paying close attention to the Royal Ascot 
horse racing meet in that's, London. That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I I was watching that. Um, there it, interesting thing, and I'm only bringing this up because it is an incredible feat. But you know how horses, you know, when we're talking about horses and horse racing. Two to three weeks, like during the Triple Crown season, they say, "Man, this is not a long layoff." Like these horses, two weeks coming back off of a big race, this is a, this is tough. Well, there's this horse named Blue Point who ran the first day of this five-day meet and then ran the last day of the five-day meet. So he ran twice in a five-day span at Royal Ascot and won both of the races. See that to me, in my very layman understanding of horse racing, seems impossible. It. Basically, is okay. There, you would never ever see an American horse unless, like, this is a Herculean feat, is what you're saying. Yeah, imagine the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness being <laughs> five days. Be, being in the same week, yeah, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. So, uh, it's on turf, so it's a little less stressful okay. on on the the bones and the body of mm-hmm. the horse. But still, these these are Grade One, Group One, like these are literally the best of the best in these. In the he was a sprinter, so he's not running for super long but he's running really really fast for a short period of time uh it really is a a herculean effort for the horse so that was making international news on the sports front and they actually retired him they announced uh overnight for us that he he's done he's retired which is kind of disappointing you like to see him like show up for a breeders cup race in november in the united states but uh totally understand he gets a lifelong break now and gets to make some babies so uh good for him uh i still was watching some of the the women's world cup caught up on that watched the travelers championship uh pretty interesting result there with uh ravy getting a victory i think that's the first time in 11 years he's had a pga tour mm-hmm. victory um so so good for him and he was in the mix at the u.s open a couple of weeks ago so uh had a chance to see that my white Sox are taking on the rangers got a nice extra inning win on friday when i was at the bar hanging out nice. and um that's always fun, isn't it? Being out and getting to see your team get it done. And I mean, I was like the only that. one watching that particular game. But that's but, fine. You know, that's all fine. I was yeah. enjoying it. Yes. And then uh, Saturday, I uh, – what did I do Saturday? I don't even remember what I did Saturday. I, I hung out at home. I know that. Oh, I, I, I went to a party that night. and uh, Was it for the nice guy? It was the nice guy's party. Yeah. yeah. And uh, We had that on the schedule. Had a sitter lined up. Everything was good. And instead, we had just a night – with me and the wife, as she is Dude, now I'm... less than two months away from delivering her baby. So instead of, and it would have been really fun, I was excited to go, but I was excited just to have a night with the so, wife. So, so I don't know if Nice Guy is going to get mad at me about this, but the, like, I don't know if you heard what happened. I didn't. No, I, I, I mean, I heard some rumblings about some things, so, okay, so let's fill it in. All right, so, so we're at Nice Guy's party, and we're, we're hanging out. Uh, it's a hot dog bar, so everybody's eating hot dogs. They have a great food spread. Uh, the weather, much like it kind of looks now, we know it's going to kind of clear up into tomorrow, but going into the weekend, we basically knew that there was going to be rain <laughs> yeah, and storms yeah. coming throughout the weekend. We just didn't know when, and we were pleasantly surprised when we got there that the rain was holding up. Like The first two, two and a half hours of this party, and there's a lot of people there, we're able to hang out on the deck and in the yeah. backyard and, and play some games and, and just have some, some brews, and it was a good time. But we saw the radar start clowing up and 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 bunch of you know nice guy and mrs nice guy were grabbing some of the stuff and bringing them inside you knew then that it was probably (laughs) time to go cover for shelter within 30 minutes of us being inside they threw on a record like you know there was a ton of people in the house now not not a shocker at all that he's got vinyl and then within i don't know 30 minutes of us going inside the transformers outside 
exploded. Oh no! Like l- like we watched. My wife was next to me, and she's like, "Look at that!" Like sparks were everywhere. <laughs> the whole street had no power. Just uh, and by the time we had left, I mean, I don't want to throw the wifey under the bus here, but uh-huh. I mean, she was tanked i mean it was it was over for her and i i was feeling pretty good as well but i was i was in you know i was in a good decision making mood to be mm-hmm. like you know i i hadn't had a drink for a couple hours i knew she wasn't feeling it anymore so uh Time by, to pull the plug by midnight we had gotten out of there and they still didn't have power so wow. so nice guy said come to to nice guy parties We'll have more hot dogs and less electricity than any party you've ever been at. It was great. <laughs> Nailed it, absolutely. I'll, I'll make it next year. I'll make it next year. I'll, well, I'm, I'll make- I mean, that's the thing. That's my first nice guy party, so I was just like, wow. Yeah. The party kind of, it stayed up even though there was no power after like 10 p.m. It's impressive. Very impressive. Very impressive. So, yeah, Saturday went out. Uh, so here's what the wife and I like to do. A little bit different. We like to play, you know, the touchy screen, the mega touch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, they're few and far between anymore. I don't know if you know any. There's one in our neighborhood, West Des Moines, at one of the bars. But outside of that, they just aren't as prevalent as they once were. Now, this was a big thing 20 years ago when I was in college. So oh, yeah. That's kind of the reason. Stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Sit there, play the play a couple of games on there. Now, she can't have a cold one. She just has a Diet Coke instead. And I get to enjoy and then have a designated driver afterwards. But, yeah, so that was part of it. Watch a little sports. But, yeah, overall... A chill weekend. Chill weekends are okay, though. You need those from time to time. Yeah, I actually hit the golf course yesterday uh, ah, nice. for a bit, and I was praying that the rain would hold off, and it did. Mm-hmm. It did. Uh, so got got a good nine holes in there. Um, that's the interesting thing about summer right now. I, I mean, before I got this job last March, I was a play-by-play guy, and I was lo- I loaded. I had like thirty-five dates between the starting at like the beginning of baseball softball season at the end of May to the first week of July before the playoffs for for baseball and softball started. I mean, I had like 35 dates in like a 45-day span where I was calling games. So I didn't get nights. I didn't get weekends. I never got to do anything, and that's part of the reason why I got out of play-by-play, just to try to hang out with my wife and my dogs a little bit. So now it just – especially now that I'm in Des Moines, so much is always happening around here. It just – I just feel compelled to do stuff, right? Like even when I feel like I want to have a relaxation day, yeah. My relaxation day turns into, well, let's go to the mall. Oh, let's go to the golf course. Uh-huh. You know, let's take the dogs to the park. Let's go on a walk to this trail over here, you know? Like I just feel like I'm missing something when I'm not out doing something. So, uh, you know, in kudos to Des Moines and the entire metro area. I mean, there's literally something worth going to mm-hmm. every single week. And this weekend it's the big old uh Arts Festival downtown, yes. which is extremely exciting. We went to that last year. We'll be catching that on Friday this year. That was the first date for my wife and I. Really? The Arts Festival, yes. Some oh, 12, 13 years ago, something like that. I mean, I mean a, I, this is how I've been able to make it with my wife, right? Mm-hmm. I am cultured. Yes. Or at least I pretend to be. Well, that's what you got to do. I, I, I go to the art festival. I don't understand a lot of the art. You can't make it, fake it, right? Right. I was just like, mm, yeah, this is interesting art. Uh-huh. And yeah. she's just like, wow, what a Rubber cultured chin. man. Yes. <laughs> oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. It's $2,500. I th- <laughs> don't think I'm going to be buying that today. But it is beautiful. Oh, it's great yes. to look at here at the uh, Des Moines Arts Festival. <laughs> well, let's get into sports. Uh, coming up today, we got Scott Dockerman. He'll be stopping by in our 
hour number one. Plenty to get into a huge, huge recruiting weekend for the Iowa Hawkeyes. They got to pick up a few commitments for not just the upcoming 2020 class, but also 2021. Talk about that with Doc. Some off-season news and notes for Iowa football. Maybe a basketball question or two. That's with Scott Dockerman from The Athletic coming up here at about 1025. Speaking of that, Emery, since you are a younger guy, The Athletic, the business model. I have been a subscriber now for a couple of years. Ken's a subscriber. We don't get endorsements. We don't get paid. But we love it. The the content is unbelievably good. It is centered around whatever really you want. I mean, they have put up new verticals on MMA and boxing and more fringe sports. I know hockey was one of the first things that they really wanted to dive into because there wasn't many places outside of a local newspaper, and even that, I mean, you look at budget cuts and how a sport like hockey, and they've been cut. So that was a place that they've gone. I'm a Twins fan. I can find tons of Twins stuff. I find Cubs stuff. I read a lot of that. Bears. They have a lot of Iowa State stuff. They do, and and Docterman does that. And I have a feeling coming up here, you would have to think that they're going to be pretty quick and maybe adding their own beat writer on that side of things, the athletics. So, you know, it's if you pay full price, 5 bucks a month, 60 bucks for the year. And there's so many deals going on. You can usually get it for half price. That's well, even then, like when you think about it, I yeah, mean, you people it people for decades were subscribing to Sports Illustrated, mm-hmm. myself included. Yep. And Sports Illustrated, I mean, on a yearly subscription rate for just the print, I mean, and you would get those articles online for Sports Illustrated. And, of course, a lot of it had to do with just the way that it was laid out. And there's something about holding the magazine in your mm-hmm. hand every week, whatever. But that was like 45 50 bucks at at the cheapest mm-hmm. number, right? So this is not that much more no. for, for really an unlimited amount of content that you could consume right. and, and very direct and specific. That's the interesting thing is you have to stand out. We had Brandon Hurley from mm-hmm. the, the Carroll Times-Herald on the Saturday morning pregame, my, myself, Sean Roberts, on Saturday morning. And it, it was interesting to hear, you know, they were able to think outside the box with Brandon going and following mm-hmm. Nick Nurse. Yeah. And just like, hey, everybody in Carroll that reads our newspaper already knows that Nick Nurse is a good good basketball coach. We don't need to talk about the coaching aspect of it. It's about the experience of this Carroll guy. Mm-hmm taking a team and winning an NBA championship with it. So, I mean, you have to find those weird little ways that you can stick out now because literally anybody could be a sports writer. Anybody could publish something online. Yeah. And Bleacher Report started out like that, too. They were just having volunteer, non-paid sports writers who wanted to kind of learn and maybe have a resume builder and just write about sports stuff. And The Athletic has some so many legit dudes like names that you recognize and i think that was part of their business model is invest into guys people already know yes well and and that a lot of people follow a lot of people a lot of twitter followers those types of things where they put up the link hey i'm this is why i'm joining the athletic we know every writer seemingly writes that article right when they start and then with it and they tweet it out to their 10 20 50 100,000 people that follow them on twitter and facebook and everything else and then those people want to subscribe, and you build the model that way. But do you think you'll subscribe? Are you? Well, I should just say first. I'm not. You're not a subscriber. I'm not a subscriber, but I, I will tell you I've thought on multiple occasions of diving into this. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I, I haven't do- – first of all, I'm married, and every purchase – like you, as yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. every everything I do with our money, uh, my wife has a say in, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of other things that I also subscribe to. Uh, to get my entertainment and my sports fix. Um, but it, like you say, 
if you think about it, five dollars a month, it really is a drop in the bucket in mm-hmm. terms of your entertainment, especially if you get good information. And guys like Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark, David Aldridge, Seth Davis are among those guys who are writers here. I'm just looking at the list. I mean, they got they got a lot of good content, and it always is popping up in my news feeds because you know the robots are listening to what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, they are with my phone, and, and so they pop up ads for the Athletic with really intriguing headlines, and I'm able to read like the first paragraph of these stories, and I'm just like, ooh, I want to read more of that, but I don't want to start my free trial and not be able to like utilize it to its full potential. You got to get it at that sweet spot, right? Right. I, I got to be like, okay. Iowa State football is about to start, yeah. and we're getting into the baseball playoffs and basketball and hockey season. Like that moment in in mid to late September when football season is just starting to pick up, and baseball playoffs are just getting ready to start, and basketball and hockey mm-hmm. is is just revving it up. I mean, like it's 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 top notch. Heard a little music there flying in the it, background. That, uh, what was that? That was uh, Welcome so, to the Jungle. Yeah, Welcome to the Jungle. You you were uh, get your vine here on Miller and Condon today. <laughs> so every on the sports weekend. So Dr. Mick coming up here in just a little bit. We'll get to him. 11 o'clock hour, Randy, way over every time we're out here. He stops by. Lots of fun things to talk about baseball-wise. We get into the I-Cubs, we get into the Chicago Cubs, and just baseball in general, in general with Randy Wayofer. And then at 11.20, we'll turn our attention to the Cyclones, Dylan Montz from the Ames Tribune on the Iowa State football beat. He will be by. So we got Hawkeyes, we got Clones, we got baseball. Baseball from the weekend. Uh, speaking of the Cubs and what they did against the Mets, really, I mean, the biggest national story that came out of that wasn't anything to do with the Cubs. It was... Mickey Calloway with the Mets going after a reporter, him and Jason Vargas. Just uh, it's weird. A, an odd look. An odd look. I'm we, all, we honestly surprised this. it doesn't happen more, right? That's that's a really good point because these guys, day-to-day, they're working together. It is guys that have reached the pinnacle of sports. They're playing in the major leagues. They look down, I'm sure, at many of these writers and say, come on. This doofus, I got to answer questions from this guy. Couldn't play more than Little League Baseball, and I got to sit here and have this guy questioning me, questioning what we're doing, and you shake your head. You're right. It probably it is surprising it doesn't happen. Well, I, I think it's the opposite, right? I think the writers sometimes, they, they just, they like you said, these, these guys see each other a lot. These writers are covering baseball for six straight months. Mm-hmm. They're at the ballpark all the time, and we love being at the ballpark. I'm sure they do too, but it becomes... Instead of an enjoyable experience to just be at the ballpark every day, it's just kind of like, okay, well, i got to dig for another story here. Yeah. And the Mets didn't have a great game on Sunday. So what ends up happening is this this quarrel. But you, this is my experience. And to any sports writer or radio personality or television personality that I have worked with or seen over the last seven years of my career, I apologize for this statement I'm about to say. But people within the media tend to get a little calloused towards the people they're talking to. Mm-hmm. They, I, I honestly think it almost works the other way around. Like, the writer can ask whatever he wants, and the player is expected to just swallow it and give him an answer so he can write a story. And they will ask some ridiculous, crazy, really... I mean, like, you see Russell Westbrook, he hasn't, like, gone after a guy, but Westbrook just looks at a dude and just like, What?! Well, and that's Barry Trammell, and he's got he's got a stick up his butt. Uh, Russell Westbrook, he's a punk. Come on, he is absolutely. But 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 that's not the only example. I I know Barry Trammell. I've talked with Barry Trammell on these radio airwaves many times before. Barry Trammell's a good dude. He's not out there really trying to get in the grill of Russell Westbrook. 
The, that's the part, and maybe that's because I come from this side of it. Yeah. I, my high school career ended at Osage High School, and it was not going any further. Regardless that was the of end I, for Trent Condon's yes, athletic career. Regardless of what I wanted to do, that was it. That was going to be it. So I've been on this side of it for a long time, and maybe that just skews my perception. But I, I these guys, they're professionals. They've been doing it. They're going to be doing it for 30, 40, 50 years, a lot of them. There is a yin and yang, though, and and the part that you brought up, I, I guess they probably, writers in general, that they're on the beat and they're confident that they're going to be able to keep their job and be able to do what they love, but maybe they look at the players as disposable, too. They just yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to answer my questions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to write whatever I want to write, and I'm going to say whatever I want to say on my program, and I'm going to try to, like generate some topic of conversation so people will read, people will listen, people will buy and, and download. And that means money for me. That That's part of their job, and I understand that. But, I mean, this is not the first time that reporters have been singled out by players because they were trying to – they're trying to get at the core of a guy. And, I mean, we know the emotions of sports, especially on a rough day like the Mets had the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it can really it can really mess with your head a little bit uh, having to go from that immediate emotional reaction of what happened. I mean, listen to any NASCAR driver who's just been wrecked out of a race, right? And then they throw a bunch of microphones yeah, right. in, in, the, in his face and said, yeah. try to explain what happened out there. And all he wants to do is say, I want to kill that dude, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to, like, I'm going to go find this dude and I'm just going to go punch him in the face a couple of times. He can't say that, sure. right? Sure. But, but the writers and the radio people and the TV people, they get the right to throw a microphone in his face, try to get their sound bite so they can go viral. I think that there is a give and take here. Now, now certainly, the, Callaway and Vargas, they are not in the right in any way, shape, or form here. I am not defending them, but let's not get the writers and the media people completely scot-free. And I, I consider myself a media person. I just know where that line is. I, I'll, If I needed to get a soundbite, I might poke the bear a little bit. But I know that you have to understand that these guys are human, too, and they have human emotions. It wasn't an easy day for them. And they have to deal with this 162 times in a season in a six-month span. Uh, it's not easy for anybody. It's a grind. I, I totally understand that. It was. I think everybody comes out looking badly on this. Yesterday, the grind continued for Jose Quintana. Emery, you as a White Sox fan certainly know a lot about this guy. I think you're feeling pretty good about getting Eloy Jimenez in pretty the Pretty good. Yeah. I'm feeling, feeling really great. I'm feeling really good about that. Quintana just awful again yesterday. We got Dylan Cease too. He's our best pitching prospect. Good place to be, right? So, so we got Cease and Aloy. Our best hitting and our best pitching prospect came for a trade for one guy, Jose Quintana. Who, at the time, I, I said, best case scenario for really good for a playoff team for a team with World Series championship aspirations. I thought he could be a three. Best case scenario. Probably. He's never going to be an ace. When we when we traded Chris Sale, <laughs> when the White Sox traded Chris Sale, he became the de facto ace. Yes. He was excellent for a couple of years there. Mm-hmm. And there was this notion that, you know, we could get something for this guy, and he was really, really good for a couple of years for us. Uh, and he, his run-loss record won't reflect that because we were in. He would not get run support, uh, even when we were kind of good and he was pitching well. The worst statistical measure of a pitcher is win-loss win. record. Yes. Absolutely, uh, but even worse, he would get no decision after no decision. Like 
at, at the very least, like, even when he would hold him to, like, nothing, we'd score nothing, and yes. he'd get a no decision, right? So that that would be kind 34 of... 34 starts, and he has, like, 16 decisions. You know, so year. if you look back at his numbers, there are, like, there's a, a solid line of why he was a valuable commodity when we made the trade. And our front office, Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, they did an excellent job kind of waiting for the market to sizzle on him at the right time. He got a chance to be our ace, mm-hmm. uh, which was a good resume builder for him, but it was only for a few months before we were able to deal him, and we got Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease for this guy. I mean, thanks, Cubs. I mean, and it's, it really really made me feel great when Eloy went yard off the Cubs, uh, off Rondon, or Rodon to, uh, uh, not Rodon, that's our guy, uh, Strope, um, in the first game of that Cubs-White Sox series. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, you're just sitting there just kind of glowing like, wow. <laughs> The Cubs just gave us this dude for a pitcher that by the time our rebuild was going to be done, mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't even going to be a part of this team either way. You know, whether he was, like, best case scenario is that he would have been our, like, number three or four by the time we got good. Why not trade him for valuable pieces? And he tried to slide into that three spot for the Cubs. Yeah. I don't. I don't even know if he's a starter material now. Well, and that's that's the problem with this rotation. It's an aging rotation. You got Lester, who was really good at the beginning he, of the year, and he's, then he's all right. Yeah. Took the step back, and he is very good in the playoffs. We've seen that. He is a bulldog. He is a veteran that you feel confident. The stuff isn't. You're not worried about him, yeah. But it, but it's still John Lester. You know, you Darvish, a, a guy that inconsistent. He's, he ever, ever since he got traded to the Dodgers from the Rangers. He didn't make it out of the second inning of the last World Series game, and he saw some vitriol when he finally went back to Dodger Stadium a couple weeks ago with the Cubs, and the Boo Birds were raining down on him. Kendricks is on the DL right now. We're, we're going to get to see Azalea will get the start tomorrow night for the Cubs, and looking forward to that. He went out of the bullpen, did really well, I thought, out of the bullpen. He's uh, been on fire, man. you got yeah. you got to try to tap into that for all it's worth right now. You know, it's Chatwood was Chatwood as a starter. That's what he was his last time out, so they're going to flip it over, give Azalea the chance, and I'm looking forward to that. But, yeah, this rotation, there's still work to be had. I think a lot of it's going to depend on what we see tomorrow night and going forward with Azalea. If he can be a guy that you're confident with is being that fifth starter, being that final guy of the piece, and come playoff time, suddenly you bounce him up. A lot of different angles to take there. Well, coming up next, we're going to be talking with the Cubs fan, Scott Docterman, a Cubs fan, and he'll be joining us from The Athletic. Plenty of Iowa football from the weekend, a big recruiting weekend. Kirk Ferentz, can a leopard change his spots? Well, recruiting-wise, certainly appears that has been the case with the move-up and the new signing date in December now as opposed to the old February signing date. That was the only one. Iowa seem to be adjusting on the fly. We'll get into that with Scott Dockerman a whole lot more from The Athletic. Continuing live from Principal Park, 1208 first pitch here. Miller and Con and Ken in Vegas. Emery Songer in for him. We're back with more. Two situations. Taking you up until noon today, it's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. Trent Condon joined today by Emery Songer, Ken in Vegas. What it is, baby. Oh, man. So you're watching the guys get ready here at Principal Park. They're getting the field ready. Sun's peeking out a little bit. It is. Looking like a nice day for baseball and Hopefully we'll be able to avoid the showers. Randy Wayhofer is going to be joining us here at 11 o'clock. I had to deal with it just for a day on Friday for the golf tournament that I was uh, helping out with. But yeah, how'd that go, by the way? It went well. We we found the window. We made the decision. We had people coming from Minneapolis and uh, other people from other corners of the state. So I had to make a decision by 11 a.m. It was still it was still sprinkling at that point. But right after we made the official call, it opened up. We called the guys who had stopped on their way from Minneapolis at Northwood at the casino. 
sound like my kind of fellas. Oh, yeah. Called them at the casino. They got on the road, got there, and we were golfing all afternoon. So it worked out perfectly that's weather-wise. Awesome. Good, man. But that stress of just doing that for, I don't know, a couple of hours leading into it, I can't imagine these guys at the ballpark and having to do this on seemingly a daily basis. Uh, you start in April and how difficult it can be here, and I went on and on. But we'll get into that more with Randy Wayhofer coming up, kicking off the 11 o'clock hour. Right now we're talking Hawkeyes. Scott Dockerman joining us. From the Athletics, Scott, Trent, and Emery here today. How are things? Hey, things are great here in uh, North Liberty in the Iowa City area. How about you in Des Moines? We're uh, looks like we're going to raid. Uh, hopefully, avoid some rain, and we're going to get some baseball in today at Principal Park. So, looking forward to that. And Doc, uh, are you fresh off a of vacation? You you back off a, a fishing trip? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, my family and I we went to a cabin in Manitoba, so right on the border with. Ontario, kind of in the middle of nowhere, which was beautiful. So, yeah, just trying to catch up on a few things since I've been back uh, and, uh, you know, ready to go here. Uh, you know, almost summer's almost over. It is, it is. We got Big Ten Media Days here about a month away over in Chicago and really feels like it is all systems go from there and it is just downhill going forward from it. Well, Doc, let's get into the weekend for the Hawkeyes, a big one. On the recruiting front, and, you know, before we get into any individual players or anything like that, just the recruiting process in general. When you look at the way that I was done things, Tyler Barnes, a big part of that, one of the recruiting directors, the change in the schedule now with the signing date in December as opposed to just a singular one that they had in February for years and years and years, it does seem like Iowa... There has been an adjustment on the fly, and Kirk Ferentz and company have made the decision to do things at least a little bit differently. Can you read into that at all? What do you see when you look at Iowa football recruiting? It's significantly different right now than what it was, you know, uh, before the signing period, uh, you know, split into two and, and have that one in, in December. I mean, for Iowa, and I think maybe as big or bigger than that is the fact that now they can bring in recruits for official visits, um, you know, any time, you know, in their junior year. So you've got uh, guys coming on, you know, during uh, the spring game. But more importantly, like last weekend, they had a ton of official visitors. And, and so you can bring them into Iowa City at a time where uh, the weather's nice, the campus is beautiful, uh, you know, and, and everybody else can too. It's not just unique to Iowa. But, but when you're bringing in players from Florida, from Georgia, from Alabama, uh, you know, the last thing you really – it's a competitive disadvantage to bring them in, you know, when they used to in January uh, and, uh, you know, kind of, oh, my gosh, it's zero outside and there's snow and, and they're looking at it going, man, I don't know if I want this, you know. So now with the clock sped up where they can sign them in December uh, and they can have them on campus in June, uh, you've seen kind of a, a real increase in the number of commits. You've seen uh, players get on campus and adjusting and, putting Iowa in their mind early as opposed to uh, just trying to explain to them and, and try to convince them to come up for an official, an unofficial visit uh, this time of year. Yeah, one thing that I find really interesting about college sports, I think slowly but surely the NCAA, I'm not going to say is relaxing on some of these things, but you're, you're seeing it be a little bit more optimized for the student-athlete, at least when it comes to not only uh, going to a school and committing to a school at a certain time, but also that transfer window. Unfortunately for Iowa, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to uh, take full advantage of transfers 
playing on the field this year, but what does that say for the Iowa program when you see some guys like Oliver Martin and some of these other receivers that have transferred in for uh, potentially to play on the field next year? Do you think that that also makes it a little bit more uh, of, of a, a an option for really talented guys, not necessarily just from the Midwest, but from around the country when they see guys that were recruited to big-time programs like Michigan decide they want to go play for the Hawkeyes? It's always helpful, and, you know, anybody can spin that in a different way. I'm sure, you know, whether it's Michigan or their recruiters might say, hey, look, he couldn't play here. They couldn't crack the starting lineup. That's why he went to Iowa. So, But that said, uh, you know, I think what really has helped Iowa in that front is kind of the play of Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Barset, being from two different, completely different parts of the country, and be able to get those opportunities in the passing game and, and accelerate the, the passing game as a whole for Iowa and then that allows a guy like Oliver Martin to look at Iowa uh, you know as well as uh, Charlie Jones whereas before they never would uh, you know I, I think you know Charlie Jones is going to be a real asset to the Hawkeyes when he becomes eligible I know the appeal process is underway for Oliver Martin I my, you know if I was to make a guess or prediction I'd probably say he loses this year but gains one on the end of his career so uh, you know, that, I think that's always helpful. It keeps people in their mind. But, but here's here's really what we need to look at with Iowa recruiting is when Iowa got its new facility in, in uh, 2015 and was able to go 12, win 12 games that year, that's where we've seen a real jump in Iowa's recruiting. And it's not so much the level of stars as it is the, the level of, of production and player development because T.J. Hawkinson and Noah Fant were three stars. Same thing with Amani Hooker was barely a three-star, couldn't even get an offer from his hometown team, yet they developed so rapidly that that's enabled them, like, say, last year to go to Indianapolis to grab some, you know, top talent in, in uh, Julius Brents and, and B.J. Johnson, who are, a lot of people were after, and now they can kind of continue to market that. So I, I think, you know, having the open window this time of year, the, the combination of that and the early signing period coupled with uh, the, the facility has really enabled more kids to get in the, under, in the door and then allow them to sign, and then that attracts more players. So it, it's just kind of the spiral upward uh, if you can have some success. All right, so four commits here this weekend, some from the 2020 class coming up next year, 2021 after that. I want to get your thoughts on, on one, though, that – was absolutely striking. It has to do with the offer list. So they get a commitment from a Michigan cornerback, Brendan Dean Fernandez, I believe. I, I don't have the pronunciation guide for his high school here, but regardless, six foot cornerback, okay. He picks Iowa, though, over offers from Southeast Missouri State, not old Southwest Missouri State, no, Southeast Missouri State, Northwood University, and Davenport University. No D1 offers. No power programs at all sniffing around yet. In Phil Parker, we trust. This guy has developed seemingly these guys out of nowhere at the defensive back positions and turned them into NFL guys. There's a little bit of hand-rigging, as you'd anticipate, with social media and the like. But for the most part, it feels like, at least to me, Doc, it's, hey, it's Phil Parker. He wants the guy. We respect that decision because he's earned that right. You absolutely have to think that way with Phil Parker. I mean, look at the guys that he's put in the NFL. I mean, you look at the combination of Desmond King, of Micah Hyde, and uh, Imani Hooker. They combined for one, uh, you know, Power Five offer 
uh, and all three end up being, and that was Desmond King, Indiana, for running back. And then here they are, all three of them are NFL players. All three of them won Big Ten Defensive Back of the Year. Saint, you know, Josh Jackson, you could throw him in the same boat. And, and so to, to look at somebody's offer list and try to validate whether or not they're going to be a good player is, is really shallow. And I, and I see that a lot on social media, like if, if Ohio State offered him, then he's supposedly better than that. I mean, let's look at what Iowa has right now in its starting secondary. Kayvon Merriweather from the same school, uh, you know, Belleville, Michigan, uh, he, is, he is now uh, the starting free state. Uh, Dallas Kratis was a four-star from St. Louis, and he's not in the two-deep. And, and so, therefore, you know, everybody's kind of wondering, why isn't Kratis playing? Well, because the other kid's better. And that's just kind of the way recruiting works. I, you know, it, it's really, it, 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 I understand you want to get a higher level athlete and one that people judge, but sometimes going under the radar, I mean, look at Geno Stone. You know, Penn State, he went, took a ton of officials there. They didn't want him. Michigan State invited him. They thought, he thought he was going to get an offer. They didn't offer him. In fact, they canceled his trip. You know, he's going to go to Kent State, and then Iowa comes in late. You know, last year he was second in the Big Ten interception. So I, I think, Phil Parker has completely earned the benefit of the doubt. And you know what? If he doesn't work out, go get the next guy. I mean, look at their secondary. It's stacked. It's, a, it's the best secondary Iowa's ever had as far as talent goes. So I wouldn't worry one bit about whether or not this kid – if this kid works out, he, you just add him to the list of great under-the-radar recruits. If he doesn't, move on. Just in general, I, I just feel like this Iowa team, the expectations are – a little bit higher than usual, and I think a lot of that has to do with how much we expect from the defense and also the the evolution into the 21st century with the offense the last couple of years. Uh, now with, uh, like you said, the reason it's more attractive for wide receivers is the fact that the uh, passing game has opened up a little bit for Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, the rest of the guys on the offensive staff. So from your vantage point here as we enter this season, realistic expectations. I have seen plenty of of preseason polls that have Iowa between the 15 to 20 mark. I've seen them as high as 10 in some polls. I've also seen them listed as a potential uh, college football playoff team, depending on uh, how things kind of pan out, because the schedule this year kind of sets it up to where they very well could lose a game and still be in the top 10 and in the mix for a New Year's Six Bowl. So before the season, I know we're way out here, but what is a realistic expectation for Iowa fans going into this season? I think anything's possible for Iowa this season. And, and I just finished my state of the program longhorn piece on the uh, athletics website. We've got five out of the seven teams done in the Big Ten West. And, and I really think it, it's going to come down to performance in close games and critical games. And I think it goes hand in hand with Nate Stanley's legacy. I mean, you look at Iowa in their five top ten seasons, they're 17 and four in one score games outside of those, those, and that's under Kirk Ferentz. Uh, the other 15 years, they're 28 and 49. It comes down to how do they compete when it's in the fourth quarter. They're down by three. They're down by four. They're up by three. They're, they're up by four. And can they convert on third and five? Can they do those things? And that's hard to judge here in, in June. But I think you look as a whole at this, at this roster, and you've got to be excited if you're an Iowa fan because you've got a three-year starting quarterback. You've got the best tandem of perimeter tackles in college football who allowed to combine two sacks last year as as uh, sophomores and probably the best defensive end in college football in A.J. Epineza. Now, 
where I'm concerned with Iowa is can they run the ball effectively? And Iowa, the numbers are different than everybody else, but in Iowa, if you can run the ball at about 4.4 yards per carry, you're running it at a level that can win you a championship. And Iowa hasn't done that for a few years. Likewise, you know, what's the depth level? Because there are going to be injuries with Iowa. It's just it's, they play a physical style of football, and it's football. So I think what can they do when it comes to that? Individually, you can take each game and you can look at Iowa and say they have a realistic, uh, they have a realistic chance of winning these games. They've beaten Michigan five out of the last six. They've beaten Nebraska and, and Iowa State, you know, in the last four years. Uh, same thing with Minnesota. You know, Penn State, they've been right there. They've also had, been tripped up by Northwestern and Purdue. They've got eight really pivotal games, and that's tough to run the, the gauntlet through. However, I think this roster and this team gives them a chance to do that. It's just going to be about can the quarterback elevate the team in critical situations. If Nate Stanley can do this, this team's in Indianapolis, has a chance at Pasadena, and who knows. If not, well, you're, you're going to be, we're going to be down in the Holiday Bowl in San Diego saying, man, they just can't ever get over the top. So I think it's going to come down to Nate Stanley in critical situations as to whether or not this is an eight-win team or a 10-plus. The state of the program, it's up at the Athletics. Scott Dockerman put it together. A great resource for any Iowa fan and sports fans in general, the Athletic. And my, uh, my note that I had circled in there, in Iowa's five top ten seasons under Ference, the Hawkeyes are 17-4 and four in games decided by a touchdown and less. And the other 15 seasons, Hawkeyes are 28-49. and 49. You just circle that one. Comes yep. down to close games. They get it done this year. I think they're going to be an Indianapolis Doc if they don't. Well, San Diego's not a bad consolation prize, but probably not. Why not Tampa? Anybody want to go to Tampa? (laughs) Been there too many times. (laughs) Doc has been there too many times. Doc, hey, we're out of time. Thanks, as always, for joining us. All right, thank you. Scott Docterman with The Athletic. Yeah, the uh, Outback Bowl is no more for Iowa, at least for this season. You're right. They've been there too many times. They've been there twice during this bowl selection window. You can't just fall to Tampa this year. Yeah, they've... uh, they've, uh adjusted kind of the affiliations too as well so that'll be starting next after next yeah season. so so it's going to be it's, but Tampa will still be a part of that and there, you know they'll take Iowa whenever they have a chance yeah right well but there's there's a chance though that we might see some new blood finally for yeah. the Iowa Bowl mix right that would be instead good. of hitting Florida all the time mm-hmm. and maybe the insight ball right so uh I don't know I I kind of I don't go to bowl games and I'm an Iowa State guy mm-hmm. more than an Iowa guy mm-hmm. but the uh they're fun you know, it just I, – I think if I was a fan, I'd like a little bit of a change-up. Yeah, a little variety is not That's, bad. Like though. when they got to the pinstripe bowl, it's just like – you know, I know it's cold then, but, like, at least it's different, right? But I want to go on a bowl destination. I want to go somewhere warm. I want to go somewhere where I can put my feet in the Well, sand. leave the Big Ten, go into the MAC, <laughs> go to the Bahamas Bowl. Oh, that's Or the good. Boca Raton Bowl. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> we're due for a break when we come back on the other side. Last week, late in the week – the Des Moines public school system uh, put out a little bit of a talk. It's a talking point we've got into here a couple of different times. Emery, you host the uh, Friday night high school show when it's not baseball season, so you're heavily invested in the high school ranks. And not just putting the high school athletic programs together strictly by enrollment, but also looking at socioeconomic factors and making divisions that way, how teams match up, doing something along those lines. We're going to get into that next and how – that could work for the Des Moines public school systems, other systems here across the state. 
the difference between the haves and the have-nots, the suburban schools and the schools inside the metro certainly have been a lot different throughout the years. We'll get into that next as we continue. It's Miller Condon live from Principal Park, 1208 First Pitch on 1460. Back with you, Miller and Condon live from Principal Park. Emery Songer in today for Ken Miller. He'll be back on Thursday in Vegas for a couple of days with his horse racing gig out there. So, Emery, it's you and me at the ballpark today. But before we got more baseball talk coming up here in about oh six seven minutes, as our man from the Iowa Cubs, Randy Wayhofer, is going to be stopping by. I sent you an article. It's something that I've touched on a couple of different times on the airwaves, and want to get your perspective. Somebody big and understands the high school sports scene in the state of Iowa, and uh, this has been a conversation for a long time. Just the the difference, especially here in the Des Moines Metro between the suburban schools and the Des Moines public schools. And that difference shows up in the biggest way, seemingly, on the football field. City schools over the last decade, 0-92 against the suburban schools of Dowling, Valley, Ankeny, Centennial, Johnston, Waukee, and Urbandale. Average score, 51-10. to That's some running clock action. Absolutely. Get out there quick. But there has been talk and continued conversation in Dan Sabers, a longtime head coach over at Iowa City City High, he threw together a proposal, not just strictly having teams divided out by enrollment, but also a couple of other factors, and the biggest of those dealing with socioeconomic. I know my wife is a teacher in the Des Moines Public School District. Her school is over 92% free and reduced lunch. Most suburban schools here, 7 8% is what you're looking at here. The disposable income, the amount of money that can go in and pay to be in a club team, to put teams together as youngsters, to have opportunities, to go to camps, to get teaching from coaches and the like. All these different things that go into not strictly looking at it as a numbers-based, all right, you have 800 kids in a class, you're in the top level, and you go from there. But diving a little bit deeper and see the differences between these schools. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I feel like we could go so many different ways with this. We made some really good headway with the RPI in football playoffs, Mm -hmm. where we created this formula, while imperfect, I believe, it is a formula nonetheless. Mm -hmm. You can, any, any man who knows that formula could put together the numbers of the percentages in their specific columns and come out with a number that it spits out. Mm Mm-hmm. Why couldn't we do that with classifications? Right. Why couldn't we why couldn't we put performance like on-field historical performance mm-hmm. like maybe the last 5 years into a category, maybe not in a super important category, but a right. category nonetheless. We could put the enrollment, we could put the private classification, sure. you know, yeah. Are, yeah. are you a private school? Can you you get kids from anywhere? And, mm-hmm. and of course it costs money to go there. And most private schools, when you're looking, we're not talking really Dowling here. We're talking no. at the 1A, 2A level. Yes. They're in big towns. They're in cities. Absolutely. And with that, you have more of a population base to draw. Des Moines Christian, Iowa City yes. Regina. These are schools that exist in large places. Even Mason City Newman, something yes. like that. Absolutely. And we see pretty solid levels of success mm-hmm. in the class 1A, 2A. Yes. Grandview yes. Christian School, right? Like, yes. Okay. Why can't we take that? Mm-hmm. 
enrollment. Why can't we make a little formula here? Put it all together. So it's not just enrollment. No. But that's probably that's the biggest piece. You're, I would say it would make sense for 60% of it to be how many kids you have. Yes. Because at the same time, you have to reward big schools who are able to beat big schools mm-hmm. by just being good. But I think that historical performance at the high school level, mm-hmm. you want to talk parity has always been an issue. It is really hard for schools to find a different way to compete, especially when you talk about the long-lasting dynasties in all classes. It's hard to upheave them. We are out of our – we'll have more time to dive into this. I think this is a good topic for us here throughout the summer. We will dive into it when we have more time. Coming up next, Randy Wehofer from the Iowa Cubs as we come back from Principal Park. It's Miller and